This is Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast where a wife and her husband get each other the worst books they can find. For this episode of Bibliovile, I read You Were Born for This by Channing Nichols and Mick read Test Drive by Marie Hart. Welcome to Bibliovile. My name is Mick Dickinson. And I'm Susan Dickinson. And I've been thinking maybe uh, I need a new intro to this podcast. Oh, that yeah. Welcome is stolen from Shutdown Fullcast. Oh, uh, I didn't know you were a thief of intellectual property. Hey, great artists steal, you know? <laughs> and borrow, obviously, borrow. obviously, I am a great podcast artist. Um, But I feel like I can't use that anymore because Shutdown Fullcast just raised almost $700,000 for refugee resettlement. That was a pretty incredible yeah so uh in case you have no idea what in the hell i'm talking about the shutdown fullcast is the internet's only college football podcast as they brand themselves uh who uh have grown out of the edsbs every day should be saturday uh original sort of name to become a bunch of different stuff because the internet is a very dumb place where good people don't get rewarded for their hard work um but in the midst of a pandemic, they put on the first uh, sort of emergency fundraiser that raised just buku bucks. And then they do this every year, ra- did another one, and they're kind of like, oh, you know, this is two and one, and it's especially a hard year. And so we understand we're going to set our, our goal where it usually is at $200,000, but we get it if it's, if it's not going to happen. And the charity that they pick is New American Pathways which is a refugee resettlement uh, charity dealing almost entirely with the state of Georgia. Very because important that's work. Where, yeah, yeah, very important work, because that's where most of them are. Um, Spencer Hall, Holly Anderson, uh, with Jason Kirk from Vacation Bible School, and then Ryan Nanny uh, are, mostly live in Georgia. And so they <laughs> raised $700,000. It was pretty awesome. They did 200000 in one day. And uh, the best part about it is that it is completely based on trying to outdo your college football rivals. And it's really golden to see everybody uh, try to be like, uh, you know, I donated sixty-seven twenty-five for the time. That, that's a weird score. But for the time <laughs> we beat uh, Texas, 67 to 25 or whatever. So you donate your score. And uh, Michigan always turns it up. One person from Michigan donated $8,000. <laughs> the Michigan money I mean, money I can. love that. Good for them. But I, I feel like it's even better that it was out of spite. Yeah, out of spite <laughs> makes it uh, really, really good. Um, I wish I had the uh, stuff drawn up because uh, the top 10 is always really surprising. For example, Michigan, uh, the, the stereotypical Michigan man is not really, you know, as the they, they say on the internet, Michigan man is not really known for their their generosity, but then they they absolutely turn it up every single time this charity bowl, so much so that people basically admit that they're playing for second uh, <laughs> against the Michigan money cannon is how they put it. Oh. Um, and so if you had to guess who got into second most years, I actually don't know for sure that it wasn't uh, this year because I'm looking for the thing. But number, number two, uh, college thinking about who's the biggest, you know, uh, endowment of colleges, which which graduates leave uh, getting the best of the the sort of salaries and everything like that. 
Well, I feel like you would think of places like the Ivy League, Notre Dame, Stanford. Notre Dame was up there. Yeah. Uh, the Ivy League. Ivy I've... League not really known for their no. sports, though. Uh, or charity. Yeah. Um, and so Harvard uh, was outbid by uh, Nightham University <laughs> and Make Spencer Eat Cheese University and I think Vacation Bible School. Um, so the top 10, Michigan, followed by Georgia Tech. Well, Which that is just, just great. if they're all based in Georgia. Well, no, well, Michigan's not. And then Cal, Alabama, Ohio State, Florida, Georgia, Penn State, Texas, Slippery Rock. <laughs> That's great. Slippery Rock is a nothing nobody school that nobody's ever heard of except for this. And it's because Michigan fans got so bored of Michigan running up the score at almost $80,000 by that school alone that they started donating to Slippery Rock instead. I love at $13,000. Notre Dame for loyal listeners who went to uh, Notre Dame. Uh, did uh, pitch in $11,700. So good looking out. Nothing from Iowa in the top 25, uh, but still. I, I need to find a new one because that's that's been done. That's, Sometimes uh, the internet can be very good. It can be very good. That's it can right. Be very good. So this is Bibliovile, a podcast oh, yeah, where we talk about other podcasts. Yeah, it's obviously a <laughs> podcast about books. Uh, we definitely haven't been turning in short episodes lately and. I definitely don't have other another tight five about Elon Musk's Hyperloop, but you know, whatever. <laughs> Are, am I being pranked? It's just a tunnel. It's just a tunnel with Instagram lights. Not even Instagram lights. Gamer lights. Twitch lights. It's really annoying. Which is also, but by the Kylie way- Kylie Jenner drove in it. It's fucking stupid. It's a subway with a car in it and the cars that explode. But uh, a rich person invented it, so, so it's, it's gotta neat be good. and fancy. Stupid. Also, the gamer lights, LED lights. Yeah. That's like a real thing. My high schoolers put those up in their their rooms. Oh. That's like the the empty liquor bottles of the the high school graduation. Yeah. Except that and empty liquor bottles. I just the reason that I refer to them as Instagram lights is because it's a thing that is eye catching on Instagram stories, which I feel like is kind of the point of the whole tunnel. Oh yes, everything is he does. that people post about it on the internet. Indeed. Yeah. Speaking of post about it on the internet, it's time to read some ebooks. We did not make it into the library this this week because the library closes at uh, seven, and I don't get home. Six. It closes at six. Like every weekday. Yeah. Every oh my weekday. gosh. All right. So that's. It closes at six, and I do not get home like home home until six fifteen, thanks to soccer practice uh, that I coach, not practice practice. Uh, and so we did not make it into the stacks this weekend uh, time around, so we had to read another set of ebooks. Susan. I went ahead and got you a sort of controversial choice. I got you, you were born for this. And it's all about your birth chart, your astrology. It is. And I do want to put a caveat out there that Mick worried a little bit about getting me this book because he did not want to offend any listeners who are into astrology. And after reading this book, my biggest takeaway is Mick, do you remember when you got me a book called Urban Magic about Magic. how to become a city witch? With the K, yes. And I loved it. It yes. was great. It was bonkers. There was some really weird stuff in there. Um, but it was also like very wholesome. And it was just basically about like, for some people, this is how they make sense of the world. Um, and also how they sort of make sense of their relationships with other people. And there's nothing wrong with that. And this is how they make sense, uh, if I remember correctly, of terrible urban planning and, and Yeah, it was also very social justice oriented, yeah. which I was not expecting when I first started reading it, but loved. 
Um, the means are odd. The ends we can all agree on. And honestly, that's kind of how I'm feeling about astrology after reading <laughs> You Were Born for This by Channing really? Nicholas. Because if I think there's one thing that astrology is in danger of sort of slipping into, it's it's not exactly eugenics because it doesn't have to deal with genes and, and races, but sort of determinism and, and that sort of thing. So that is... I think that there definitely are people who believe in astrology and are proponents of astrology that can take it in that direction. This particular author, who I believe is a woman of color, um, does not take it in that direction. And the way that she wrote about it, I was like, all right, this is not my scene, but if it's your scene, cool. So, uh, <laughs> all right. But tell me before how. we get there, okay. there's plenty of crazy. So I want to read some quotes for you. Your truth is your own, but you have to admit this is kind of bonkers. Whatever pattern constellated in the heavens at the moment you took your first breath is the cosmic imprint of your soul, the map of the journey you will take in this lifetime, and the ways in which you will go about it. That is sort of the premise that we are starting from. That is a thesis. It is indeed a thesis. Um, we, the, the book is structured for- Oh, cool new Kindle, Sue. I know. I'm reading this on my new Kindle. I don't super know how to use it yet. Yeah, it's all touchscreen. There's no more buttons. I know. Nick got me a new Kindle for my birthday because he is a wonderful husband and he loves me, I think. Um, and so- I, I do. Yes, right. I know. I know. <laughs> um, so the book is laid out in a way that it is intended to explain astrology to people who- don't really know anything, which is good, but it is still incredibly complicated, and I kind of had no idea what was happening. That's a total Aries way of approaching astrology, Susan. <sighs> I know. I'm a total... But you're such a Leo, so... Uh, and what's a Leo involved now that you've read this book? What am I? Leo's the leader. No, that's Teenage Mutant Ninja <laughs> Turtles. What's the lion sign? Uh, I don't I'm know. I'm a Mikey, by the way. Thank you very much. We'll get there. I have quotes about your sign and my sign and... Oh. What house and things are in. And so I did yeah. actually, because I have never been particularly interested in, ast- I keep wanting to say astronomy. That's a very no, different that's thing. that's the science. Uh, I've never been into astrology. This has never been something that has appealed to me. Uh, so I did for the first time, I did my birth chart. I found oh. like a free thing on the internet and did my birth chart. Does it tell you, like, breathe in, breathe out, and relax, get some ice <laughs> you know, chips? Those are Lamaze classes. Oh. Um, get some potato chips in the corner. That's throw my ice chips birth at your husband. Yeah. Um, so it involves taking in the day you were born, the time of day you were born, and something else. Oh, the where like, what location you were born. Like latitude, longitude? Um, it just asks for the city name. <laughs> like... Is this like those lists on on Twitter where it's like the the first letter of your first name tells you your cat name <laughs> and the last letter of your last name? Oh, don't worry. It's a lot more involved than that. Oh, good. The houses of our chart give us the context for where things will occur. If the sun, for example, is in your 10th house of career, you will need to express yourself, the sun, through professional avenues or the social roles that you hold, the 10th house. If Venus is in your 11th house of community, then much of your good fortune, 11th house, comes through your ability to build relationships with others. Oh, God. There was an Um, awful lot of that, um, and I did not really understand large chunks of it. I have a real quick question. Sure. 
why do all of the constellations come from the northern hemisphere? I mean, I know why, because it's Greek, but like, what do they do about southern constellations? A completely different set of constellations. Maybe they have their own astrology. I don't know. <laughs> all right. The fates have the fates have split at the equator. Yeah. Right. That they would just explain, get to do their own thing. That would explain a lot of the post-war world. You're right. <laughs> um, one of the, I would say, probably kookiest things about this book is that in order to illustrate a lot of the concepts, the author chose two well-known women um, who have had full lives. They've both passed away oh, um, and examined their birth charts and the events right. of their lives. Can I guess? Yeah. Maya Angelou. Yes? How did you know that? Holy fuck. I had no idea. <laughs> yes, Maya Angelou is one. Listener, we would not lie to you. That is, that is uh, absolutely out of If you can cop. guess the second one. Catherine Hepburn. No, that would have oh. been a good one too. Frida Kahlo. <laughs> All right, so a poet and an artist. Frida Kahlo's exalted moon in Taurus in the 10th house sextiles her exalted Jupiter, planet of abundance, in Cancer in the 12th house. Since the moon rules Cancer and is therefore in charge of this Jupiter, there's a special affinity between them that is heightened because they are in a helpful aspect to each other, the sextile. Although the 12th house is a place often associated with great difficulty and isolation, her Taurus moon was able to translate and bring those 12th house experiences into the 10th house of career. Her ability to express her personal suffering, loss, and experiences of isolation in her art brought her great recognition. It should be noted that if other planets <clears throat> had made challenging aspects to Frida Kahlo's moon, her career may not have been in a place oh, of such great distinction Frida for Kahlo's her. moon really did speak to me at that museum. Uh, I really wish you had said Georgia O'Keeffe so I could be making I, more vagina jokes. You always get those two people mixed up. I was waiting for you to make Frida a vagina Kahlo's, painting Frida Kahlo's joke. the, the uh, uh, self-portrait with the unibrows and Frida Kahlo's the vagina flowers. I know my my artists. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fucking Calvin Ball though, right? That's just... We just kind of make the rules up as we go. Yeah. That's certainly what it feels like. Yeah. That's certainly what Tell it me about like. Maya Angelou and how her her Mars made the caged bird sing. So I'll get to Maya Angelou in a second. There's a couple no, other I points I want your first. Angelou. Oh. <laughs> um, some of it also just feels and and this is not just astrology. This is also Myers Briggs personality types. Enneagrams, Hogwarts houses, like it is all designed to be like specific enough, but also vague enough that anyone can see themselves in it. Uh, Older brother, younger brother, sibling studies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's all of these are are different ways that we try to categorize ourselves and make sense of ourselves in relationship for other people. It's mythos. It is. And that's useful. And and it's also a very human thing. We're trying to make sense of our experiences. So I'm in no way saying like, this is so stupid. Stop it. It's like, this is one of many ways that we have tried to categorize ourselves and other people. It's just like... Explain the unexplainable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But it is funny because some of the like... That combination of like ultra specific and very vague. When you start adding rules to yes, it, yes. It winds up being like almost contradictory sometimes. What? And so it was kind of funny. Also, some of the the descriptions are just funny. Gemini is a trickster, mischief maker, magician, salesperson, reporter, and gatherer and giver of information. Shouldn't it be salespeople? Gemini could sell a broken wand to a wizard if it wanted to, which I thought was really funny. <laughs> um 
I suppose that's less problematic than the other ones that we've had in the past. Like, uh, uh, ice to the Inuit people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Except it wasn't Inuit. Yeah. Or, uh, something about they could not sell water to a man in hell, because that's exactly the guy who would want it. I can't remember how it goes. Um, water to a drowning man. That's what it is. In general, planets in the first house will have extra strength and will have a major impact on how you express yourself. Not everyone has planets in their first house. If there are no planets in your first house, fear not. It isn't rare or unusual to have houses that are empty of planets. In fact, it's impossible to have a planet in every house. If you do uh, have planets in the first house, <laughs> remember that they have an enormous impact on your identity, appearance, mannerisms, and physical experience. So... They're going to have a major impact on you. But if they're But not it's okay there, if you don't have any. Cause... But if you do, remember, they're going to have an enormous impact on every aspect of your life. I think I've talked about this not only to you, but on the podcast. And do you know one of the ways we can explain an ever-expanding universe? What's that? That the night sky is dark. Yeah. Because if it wasn't, then assumedly... Every star that's out there would shine every square inch of light, and yeah. then we'd have stars at night, and it would just be one big blanket of stars. But the fact that there's big gaps between the stars that we can see is not even even under like no light pollution. Yeah, is attributable to how much friggin' space there is. Empty, yeah, empty space. Um, but that being said, if you only have twelve houses to cover the entire night sky, there's planets in those houses. They're just not part of the solar system. Yes, correct. Um. And also the, the Southern Hemisphere. Do you want to hear about Dr. Maya Angelou? I would love to hear why her particular caged bird sings. Dr. Angelou had Neptune in the first house. Mm. Neptune is the planet of transcendence. Wait. Oh, uh, can I guess? Yes. Neptune is the planet of transcendence, obviously. And I would say artistic thought, uh, trade, and a wanderlust. Eh, kind of transcendence escapism i think that goes with wanderlust idealism and fantasy mm. neptune in the first house can give the person who has this placement a certain otherworldly effect any planet in the first house is going to feature prominently in this person's life wanting to be expressed through the vehicle of the self in this case neptune influenced the way in which dr angelou's leo ascendant expressed itself adding an ethereal quality to her persona so she sure, that's more about Dr. Maya Angelou. She sure was a poet when you think about it. <laughs> Did she know it though? I don't know. Um, we have more about Frida I, Kahlo. I can get to that if, if I, we okay. want to. Frida Kahlo was a raff and Maya Angelou was a Donnie. And it's time to admit it. Oh, I bet you're right. Which am I again? I'm a Leo. You're Leo. Yeah. Yes. You are not a Leo. You're Leo. I am in Aries, but I am Leo. Yes. Um, Mick and his brothers often classify groups of people in terms of which Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle they are. I was not familiar at the beginning of our relationship with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and so I started classifying people by which Dickinson brother they were. Yep. <laughs> it works out really well, actually. Mix the Mikey, and not only from the name. I'm my brother, Dan. <laughs> Um, so one of the, one of the reasons why I was able to read this book so quickly is that I did my own chart, my birth chart, and then read more in depth the sections that were specific to my chart and then skimmed largely over some of the rest of them. I know my, my chart is also the app where we get all of our healthcare information. So that got a little confusing. Thanks, Epic Systems. So we're going to learn a little bit more about me. Oh, good. 
If you have the sun in Aries, <laughs> which I do. That's a shitty tone I took, but my, I'm sorry. Yeah. It was for comedy effect. I'm sorry. <laughs> my sun is in Aries, which means I am more you have than a sun? likely more than likely driven to prove myself through acts of courage, bravery, and decisiveness. But that drive can easily become self-serving when the emphasis is on proving yourself right. Not every interaction is a duel, but your sun in Aries, that conflict is sometimes too tempting to ignore. When distorted, your sun in Aries tends toward a pushy, forceful, aggressive, arrogant, and inflammatory persona. Do you think that sounds like me? No. Here's the thing, though. <laughs> I don't think it sounds like me at all. Okay, good. But the first part of, like, yes, you're you going to be in situations and... where you have to prove yourself yeah. and... You have you to remember are a sometimes woman who goes to work. Yeah, I was gonna, like you have to remember sometimes that not every interaction is a duel. Exactly. Like I am a human being who has a job. <laughs> like and so that that is how I feel about a lot of these things. Like again, Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, whatever is any of those situations can be applied to probably any person in certain yeah. circumstances. So yes, when you are reading through this, you are likely to see things that I do come into conflict with people. Yeah, you're going to see things and you're like, yes, I have experienced that and it's going to hit home. So that's why I think a lot of people are drawn to things like this because you want to be able to make sense of yourself. At the uh, yeah, I mean, in the 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 worst of it is is uh, not the worst of it, but the I think the main sort of bent that people take is it puts words to what people are already feeling like yeah. they go through. They can find the vocabulary yeah. for what they are doing. Uh, and even if that's generally vague, at least they're sort of interpreting their yeah. own world around it. And I don't know that there's really a problem with that in many cases. In many cases. In many no. cases. In, yeah. I would say, the the quietest 96% of cases. Yeah. Do you want to learn about yourself? Sure. I didn't do your whole birth chart because I'm pretty sure your mom does not remember what exact time <laughs> you were born. Uh, she does not. And I have never known. Um, whereas my mom, when I arrived at her house uh, on my birthday, was like, I can't tell you happy birthday for another 48 minutes. Exactly 10 o'clock was when you were born. Because she remembers all of those my things. My mom can't remember if I was born in the morning or at the night. <laughs> Fourth of four, baby. So what I did, um, I could only get the information on you about your sun sign, which is based off of the like the day date that you were born. But a lot of the other stuff I couldn't get because we don't know your time. But uh, royal in your style, your <laughs> sun in Leo needs to rule something. That totally sounds like you. Though not everyone born while the sun is traveling through Leo will be driven to lead, at the very least, your central mission in life is to find a way to give of your life force and get applauded for it. Now listen. Okay. <laughs> Let's go back to when we said that this applies to a lot of different people, and it's definitely not my attention-seeking behavior. <laughs> no, but I do say they're like, one worry is that Leo, nobody talks about me. People with their son in Leo are leaders. But not all of them are going to be leaders. It's just like, it's funny the equivocating that they do, even in those most basic discussions. I am possibly one of the least ambitious people who pays as much attention to politics as I do, that I know. <laughs> um, then there's Reflection stuff about questions. Like, yeah. Sorry. Then there's stuff about like what house is your son in? My son I is don't in. I have the children. <laughs> son S U N, capital oh, S U N. Okay, sorry. With your son in the 11th house, which mine is, you'll get where you're going in life through those whom you know. Friends, groups, and social events are very important for you. 
The more you place yourself in the company of like-minded people, the faster your trajectory and discovery of your life's purpose. I love that. Uh, apparently, this book took the phrase, it's all about who you know, and added yeah. dot, dot, dot for Aries's. <laughs> um then there's stuff about like what planets are in different aspects to your sun uh neptune can lead to self-deception and a blurring of boundaries making it difficult to be consistent grounded and realistic however working with the sensitivities and artistic talents that neptune usually brings can be a positive way to tune into and use this very otherworldly energy I don't know what any of that means. I actually... <laughs> I don't think it's saying anything. Uh, much like the internet meme of a football teenager, you had me in the first half, not going to lie, because <laughs> that sounds a lot like anxiety. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. The second half where it's like, you'll express yourself through creative means. I'm like, that's... <laughs> that's not that's me. That's not a Susan. No. Uh, the moon in cancer needs to nourish others as much as others need its nourishment. Having the moon in the second house means that you need to unpack and live out a part of your life's purpose by understanding how to successfully work with your resources, inner and outer assets, money, property, and issues of self-worth. All right. I just, sometimes, I know that this would make astrology worse, but sometimes I do kind of wish that there was one astrologer who's just like, guys, let's face it, Taurus is just the best. Like, we just have to accept it. <laughs> Taurus is just the best person. It's just, that's what it is. It's the best person, guys. Instead of being like, everyone's good in their own way, which is true, that if one astrologer would just go full on and be like, no, it's Taurus. <laughs> and they just have like, they they put all of their resources behind this one sign. Like, and no, this is the their, one. It wasn't even their it was sign. somebody else's. It was, here's your sign. It was, it was like, I'm a... Uh, I only know four apparently. Cancer. I'm a cancer, and I'm the I'm the the uh, worm tongue of signs. Mm. So I'm going to advise the Taurus of signs. Um, yeah, I can see it. That's a I very can see nerdy it. sentence I just said. <laughs> a very nerdy sentence you just said. There's also I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's several pages of Kindle long. Um, but there's a whole thing about Frida Kahlo's uh, birth chart, and then all of the things that she encountered through her life. She was bedridden from polio when she was six. She had um, a near-fatal bus one. accident when she was uh, 18, leaving her spine now broken that's a horoscope. in three places. Um, she wasn't expected to live. She was in a full-body cast, and that's when she took up painting. And so it's like telling this story about this person's, like trauma and what they've been through in their lives and then it says the physical and emotional suffering that Kahlo endured is not simply the result of having her son in the 12th house of sorrow isolation and loss and, I'm like, and then it goes she also had Mars sharp and cutting and Uranus unpredictable and disruptive Uranus. opposing her son I'm like no she got hit by a bus yeah. Like, I don't think the stars foretold that she was going to get hit by a bus. That's a and fucking horoscope, Polio. Though. 27th <laughs> of June. Leo, look out for buses. <laughs> a challenge will be coming your way. Uh, oh. Um, Sue? Yes. It's Uranus. It's time, to, it's time to just accept it. It's Uranus. The Greeks did not have a word for our butthole that we use to this day. I know, but I felt like if I said Uranus, you were going to make a butt joke. Yeah, but if you make a Uranus joke, I'm going to make a urine joke. It's a it's it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't. All right, fair enough. So, I've I've spent the last 26 minutes gently roasting this book and in some cases the concept of astrology, but here's where I want to like kind of lean in like 
this there were parts of this book that felt very silly mostly because I don't have any vocabulary for any of this so it all sounded insane um but if this is helpful to you as a person if this helps you make sense of the world and make sense of other people then that's fine like there's nothing wrong with that if this works for you and is something that you're into go for it um, I actually really like, like, wound up really liking the author throughout most of the book. She says in the beginning, um, she's kind of describing where she was when she first got into astrology. And she says, I was deeply frustrated, really broke, and not getting any younger. So I did what any person in their mid-30s does when they can't figure out what to do next. I went back to school. Oh. <laughs> um, and then here's here's a couple of things that I think kind of illustrate my main point here. Wait, she went back to school? Did she go back to school for astrology? No. I can't <laughs> remember what she back, went back to school for. Um, many of us come to astrology in search of ourselves, in search of the meaning of our lives, in search of some clues about what it is we're here to do and whether or not we're on track. And like, yes, that's very please, human. Please, please, please give me that thing. Yes, everybody wants that. Give me a stats screen where I can look up the percentage <laughs> completion that I currently have. How am I doing? Um, once we're old enough to meet our... And then, okay, so it also, in addition to kind of that idea of everyone's looking for meaning, everyone's looking for a way of knowing if they're on the right track. It's also a lot about like self-care, but in a more meaningful way than face masks. Uh, <laughs> it says, once we are old enough to meet our own needs, it's up to us to find the nourishment we crave. Knowing that this or knowing this can help us to radically accept who we are and take better care of ourselves. So she she talks about like this is a way of getting to know yourself so that you can figure out what your needs are and advocate for them. That sounds really healthy to me. She also says, take care of yourself. Give yourself nourishment. Be kind to your body. Remember that your body is the physical manifestation of your soul's purpose and respect it accordingly. Radical self-acceptance means understanding that we were made exactly as we were meant to be. There's no part of us without a purpose. There's no ex there's no excess in how we were put together. There was no mistake made here. Um, and again, I think like people are looking for such things. They are. And I think this puts the, uh, ironically for what I usually believe, I think this puts the emphasis correctly on what you are. Like you are what you are and that's yeah. really good and be that person. And it, from what you've read so far, has not let you off the hook for what you do. Yep. And so it's kind of backwards from what I usually believe, where the yeah. most of my emphasis on, like, it doesn't really matter who you are, I say as a straight white man who grew up <laughs> upper middle class, Um, but it does matter what you do. And this one's like, no, who you are, you're cool with that. That's all cool. Be cool yeah. with your own self. And now focus on what you do, which yeah. I think the stereotypical interpretation of astrology is very much uh opposite yeah who you are is what you do yeah and i think that's where a lot of uh, people's criticism <clears throat> whoever <clears throat> maybe uh <laughs> <clears throat> criticizing astrology uh comes from is that who you are is not what you do but that was i think something i really or liked about fucking whatever you yeah you got, what you got it that was something i really liked about this author also she's very anti-capitalist uh, another yes. quote that i pulled down was capitalism profits from our rejection of our body convincing us to invest our life energy and our money into buying products to change ourselves and she's basically saying like spend time getting to know yourself so that you don't do this so you're saying this is more this is not so much of a hogwarts house or myers-briggs it's more like a marxist briggs <laughs> 
I mean, definitely sounds better than the alternative. It's at least anti um, yeah. The Reading this reminded me of a conversation that I had with... Seize the means of divination. Sorry. <laughs> I, I... <laughs> yeah, I could see you frantically trying to come up with something there. You could see seize and the means in my eyes like they were knuckle tattoos. Um, you also have knuckle tattoos that say that. Yeah, I've got very large hands. I... I'm not into, I keep wanting to say astronomy. They are not the same thing. I am not into astrology. Even it's not it really my holy thing. site in Civ 6. <laughs> but um, if people are, cool. Like if this is a way that helps you make sense of yourself and the world and it is a thing that you were into and you find it fun, awesome. This book was kooky, but I really like the author. All right. Well... <laughs> Mission failed successfully, I guess. Yeah, I suppose. So, yeah, that was You Were Born for This. And now, Mick, I'm very excited to hear all about Marie Hart's test drive. Because you did not seem to be having a very good time while you were reading this book. Susan, Marie Hart's test drive is a lesson. And it's a lesson in getting what you asked for. And how that can uh, really show you the light. This is the It's a Wonderful Life of books here. The uh, angels? No. Um, There's a, a bank run? No. This, it's in black and white? Uh, yes. On my Kindle, it is in black <laughs> and white. Um, this is a romantic book. Uh, ostensibly a comedy. Although rom-com feels more suitable to movies yeah. than, than books. Um, that is bereft of conflict or... Um, uh, artificial sort of friction. F- not yes, but also like they're not trying to save the world and defuse a bomb and then also bone. It's just about are ar- they going to bone or not? That's artifice. what it is. It's artifice. just about are they going to bone or not? But um, no, because they bone twenty five percent of the way in. <laughs> Uh, artificial artifice. That's it. So Test Drive is a book about two people, a Johnny who very kind of, uh, funnily and, uh, it makes sense in the universe of the book is named Johnny Walker or whatever his last name is. Blue. Sure. Um, and then this other girl, Tan Lara, I read a whole book about two people and I forget their name already, um, is the love interest. And Johnny is a mechanic at some shop. That has a whole crazy cast of characters. And from my words already, you can tell that this is book number... Nine. No, it's one, which is really weird. I know, because there are already two different characters that are already in love. So unless they're getting planned for a prequel, I don't know. But very clearly, the the other men in the garage are designed to be book numbers two, three, and four. And in fact, uh, as I'll talk about, I found out who was in book number two. Mm. So Johnny is, would you believe this, sort of a rough and tumble bad boy. Of course. He wears ripped jeans and... That's uh, how you know he's a bad boy. Tight shirts, and he's got tattoos on his forearms. Big muscles, though? Uh, yes, but... In one scene, he's shown running, which explains why he's more svelte than his other people. And for the rest of the book, he is, it's not brought up at all. Big dick, though. Big dick, though. Get that big dick energy. Uh, They say, write what you know, and Marie Hart does not understand uh, boys. And especially bad boys and how they relate. Uh, so they have a boss named Dell, who's a woman, by the way. Oh my God, a boss who's and, a woman? And sh- they work in a garage, and she's getting married, and so she has a swear jar, and uh, it was a 
Growler, which it never says Growler. It's very funny. What is a, What alternatives did they use for Growler? I'll tell you. Such a sad waste of a perfectly good beer container. <laughs> Once the half-gallon jar had been home to a killer IPA, flavored with hops and a hint of citrus. <laughs> y- that's yes. what an IPA is. It's most yeah, IPAs. That is, that is a definition of an IPA. This coffee was really flavored with coffee beans. Uh, now it was nothing but a no-swearing jar filled with goddamn quarters. And so... <laughs> That sort of thing where it's like boys liking boy things like IPAs. And it's like, hey, by the way, the people you're writing about, although this does take place in the seaside town of uh, Seattle. Seattle. Once again, correct. We did not talk about that ahead of time. I got a little nervous when you said seaside town. Well, yeah, but it's a seaside town. Yeah. Um, all, even in Seattle, the type of men you're writing about, uh, Marie Hart, uh, do not just go in crazy for... IPAs. Yeah. They drink uh, Bud Light and Miller Light and uh, Coors Things Light. Things that are cheap and easy to drink. Yeah, because they're good. Yeah. So are some IPAs. But anyway. Not really. Uh, well, it's you saying that. Um, His dad has a strip club, uh, which is going to be the thing that they come back to the most often in this. So, like physically, they keep going back to the strip club. A couple scenes take oh. place at it, but mainly the emotional weight of him, Johnny, having a dad who's uh, Johnny's mom died or left, I believe died pretty early on in his life, and then from then on, basically had strippers as a fill-in maternal figure. Which I'm not going to quote as many quotes as I took because it'd be too many. But if you're writing guys talk and they're tatted up, and I, I understand that many people can be many different things. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't know of too many guys who would be like, oh, you know, I'm oh, shut up, you son of a bitch. I'm gonna we're gonna get in a fight this weekend at the bar. And also, most of my maternal mentors were strippers, so I've learned over the course of my life to not believe in any real love and also uh, divorce sex from love because I've seen them not be coexistent. And you're like, hey, guy, that's not how boys talk to each other. That's not how human beings talk yeah. to each other outside of a group therapy session. Yeah. Um. He tells his friends after winning at dart, and remember, don't hate the player, hate the game. When I win, suckers. Uh, he wins at darts, and because uh, he wants to go to the bar so bad, uh, because they're his favorite bartender, Lair Lara, who mm-hmm. is a uh, bartender who is uh, like a get. They're both around twenty-eight, no kids, no no prior major relationships. She's studying to be a nurse, and she's trying to make it out of the bartending game. And would you believe that she's dropped dead gorgeous? Of course she with, is. Does she have perfect breasts? Uh, I don't know if the word perfect was ever used, but they're really good. She is at least described as being like really toned and athletic, mm-hmm. as opposed to just like sex incarnate. Yeah. And there's other women that the main character looks at and is like, yes, they are. Sex, they are sexier than the girl I'm in love with, but I'm in love with this girl, so I want to have sex with her instead. And so at least there's some some of that. And so I guess I need to sort of already wrap this up. Um, (laughs) Already? Yeah, because there's not a lot to it. Uh, For some reason, he, he is smitten with this bartender over the course of years and wants to get with her. And the two biggest plot points naturally in a book like this it cannot uh, avoid all artifice but of course have to deal with 
sexual assault and trauma. Ah, uh, yes, because people... we can't have a character without an incredibly traumatic backstory. Yes. And so the time when it goes from like a sort of work flirtation where they both want a bone, but both believe the other one is sort of just flirting, mm-hmm. um, which I will say this book across the board uh, has the the romance problems of people not talking to each other, but what they don't talk about is pretty realistic. Yeah. So, like, he doesn't talk about, like, my dad had a bunch of girlfriends that never worked out, so now I'm afraid to ever actually commit to a girl. Because that's not something you say. Yeah. She's running out of money because she's trying to work a bartending job and go to nursing school, and she's not like, I'm having financial troubles, because that's not what you tell, yeah. like, a three-month boyfriend. Yes. And so it, it makes sense why they're not talking to each other, as opposed to, like, I don't know. I bought you a birthday present and now I'm so nervous that I'm not ever going to talk to you again. Um, But anyway, so he's smitten with her uh, and then he goes to the grocery store and is so smitten with her that this like 1950s sex kitten character (laughs) who on a Saturday at a grocery store is wearing six inch pump heels in a tight red spaghetti strap dress. Yeah, that's where we really stop being realistic here. And they are, she is just begging him for a dicking. She might as well just be like, hey, come fuck me in the parking lot right now. Might be the way, like. Who ever would just like be in a grocery store in that state? Dressed like oh, that. Oh, I thought you meant that horny. I'm like, well. <laughs> um, and instead he goes back home and this tough uh, man who also reads Tolkien, by the way. Oh, so. yeah. So he's multifaceted. Multifaceted. Um, does, in fact, go home on a Friday night, uh, eat microwave or like uh, oven pizza. He cannot cook a lick, which is pretty funny because it's like, no, he's not everything. <laughs> like, he yeah. can't cook worth shit. He's not he, the perfect man. He's like, I kept this this lasagna warm for you at one point. And she's like, it's frozen. You were supposed to cook it, not keep it warm. <laughs> Oh, no. But anyway, he goes home and eats a frozen pizza and jerks off and then watches Mystery Science Theater 3000. Uh, he afters. watches MST3K? Yes, but he calls it Mystery Science Theater. And I'm like, I can see it, but that's like nails on a chalkboard to me. It's Mystery Science Theater 3000. 3000 is the best part. But it does not shout out any specific example, but it says Mystery I'm Science Theater. I'm not going to lie, though, bud. It's pretty good. Eating a pizza and watching MST3K and jerking off sounds like a night that you would have had in college. Uh, my notes say, while I can, in fact, relate to a Friday night of jerking off and watching Mystery Science Theater 3000. Uh, everyone in the story, except for the main love interest, has gigantic tits. Of course. Uh, and everyone is always eye-fucking each other, including platonic friends. Why? That's so uncomfortable. Um, so the first sexual assault, uh, trauma plot point is that her sister, love interest sister is really, really hot and is basically trying to sleep her way to a better life because she doesn't really have a lot else. And it's, that's a really harsh way of putting it, but that's basically the, the plot point. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, the main character is judging her a bit, but not more than a normal person would judge her. It's like, you're kind of fucking up your own life. You're come on. Um, and so her ex boy, her ex husband is being an asshole about signing the papers and whatnot. And so wait, main character's ex husband or no, sister's sister's ex husband? And sister's ex husband wants to talk to main character about it, but obviously just wants to sleep with her. And so convinces her to go in the back alley of the bar where she works and starts trying to kiss her and and everything and so would you believe it our man character comes out just in time to have one of the least realistic fights in a book i've ever seen uh where there are multiple like boxing punches thrown it's like but if you're having a fight in an alley outside a bar there's either going to be one fight or or one punch or four punches missed and a and a 
tackling. <laughs> like, yeah. That's, that's how it works. Yeah, especially um, if one or both of them are intoxicated. Yes. Um, and so he punches the guy to the ground and immediately hugs her, the woman who is just sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, holds nope. her tight. Um, then tells her to go get a bouncer. And it's like, you're already outside in an alleyway with this guy's ass kicked. He's bounced. What else is a bouncer going to do? What need do you have for a bouncer in this moment? Then he, it's, it's pitched as nice. And it's not the worst I've ever seen. This drives her home in his car and is sort of in the world of the book, trying to diffuse tension by hitting on, like by making jokes, but at the same time, it's like, we only know he's a good person because he's the protagonist in this romance book. He if basically just kidnapped that, her. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, and then she invites him in, feeds him cookie, cleans up his face from some, uh, apparently he got, he got punched and apparently he needed antiseptic. And it's like, I understand some punches can split, but it's not like he has a big old cut on the side of his face. It's like split his lip or something? No, it's like on his cheek. Oh. Um, that doesn't really make sense. He rejects uh, the idea forthrightly and ahead of time of the idea of her owing him anything. So she's like, oh, you know, what can I do? And he's like, no, that's that's gross. That's, Please. That's yes, good. We're I making, like that part. We're making progress. Um, <laughs> so the bar she works at is called Ray's. And on their first date, they go to a restaurant, which is a different place called Ray's. <laughs> Ray just owns the whole town. And I, I, I do not believe, I do not know which I want to be true more in that this author thought, you know, it's a good bit. <laughs> <laughs> if the only other place he knows where to go is also called Ray's or if she wrote like pretty quick and like, and uh, forgot what's a good, what's a good name for a place. And she's like, Oh, Ray's. And then somebody thankfully was like, Hey, this is also the bar was called Ray's. And so she's like, oh, okay, I'll just put in a thing about, like, ironically also called or whatever. I don't know which <laughs> one's better. Um, oh, I got really mad about this. I liked the book the less I read of it. I started skimming pretty heavily. So the less I paid attention, the less I paid attention, the better the book got. A ringing endorsement. Yeah. Um, but their first date, uh, they go back to her place and they're like, well, we can play cards. My nieces love war. War is not actually a card game. We all know that, right? And so they sit down, and over the course of almost an hour, they play war. And he loves her competitive streak. Two adult human beings on a romantic date. And I get that, like, in a book designed for the broadest possible audience, you can't be like, well, they played Energy Grid. They played two-person... Euchre. Yeah, Yeah, they played Bridge. I understand that you can't necessarily pull that. And war is one of the only two-person games. But still, it's pitched as, like, oh, she really showed him that she knows how to compete. It's like, there's nothing about competing in war you like flip you flip cards over you win or you don't the, the game of thrones um and so oh, it wouldn't be that bad because it's supposed to be just be like an avenue towards their flirting and eventually yeah. he but figures her on the couch hour? and he comes in his pants oh cute yeah big sex tough man who gets sex and t- is tough uh comes in his pants from dry humping and it's like bud i was a teenager at one point i never came in my pants during dry humping not to get too blue but it's like that's not really a big danger but for... But she's so sexy, Mick. I guess. Um, It wouldn't be so bad. That's at 25% of the way through, by the way. Oh. Yeah. This it... is like a whole book that has happened at 25%. Oh, yes. I think I'm at like, the book is gone. I'm like, no, that's a quarter of the way through. Yeah. Um, 
it wouldn't be so bad if the game war was not brought up multiple times than throughout the rest of the book like i can't wait till i get to play war with her again like not as a euphemism no like but that's not a real game that's you might as well just split a card deck into two halves and then one person just over the course of the next hour occasionally hands one of the cards back to the i mean that's basically all the game is yeah um so the 25 percent of the way through the book is done um and now i started skimming and liked it a lot better (laughs) um later on with the uh nieces because she has to babysit a bunch because her sister has two children both of different fathers but they are one some of the worst children uh no that's not true they're better than some but still not good at one point uh our main character our main uh character who's a woman has to give uh the younger one a bath because she got chocolate milk in her hair it's like that's not a bath time occurrence that's a pretty easy fix you don't have to give a bath for that one Mm. um he comes over for a date that she forgot to cancel and he's good with kids and at least there's like that's a pretty good reason for someone to be like i don't mean to attribute my own uh uh, that is is a thing that you can very much like about yeah a potential romantic partner and they like the same thing in movies and there's a pretty realistic portrayal of sex jokes that are just enough behind the line to be like "Ooh, that's risky that's that's dangerous and that's kind of good flirtation and so the two leads do have a certain amount of chemistry even if it does rely a little bit too on the like arguing is sexy and we're going to make the other one frustrated but that's a thing that happens with people i guess that does not make any sense to me but apparently yes that is the Um, thing that happens at one point i also forget about this uh after hanging out with the nieces and playing shoots and ladders another skill-based game (laughs) um i don't know we turned that into a drinking game once yeah that's the best part about (laughs) drinking games is they're not skill-based at all except for beer pong (laughs) which is the best game in the world i love beer pong so much and i miss beer pong so much i miss seeing other human beings beer pong is so good and drinking because there's so many different rules for I it know. everybody has their own it's, house it's rules not and that's like fun. it's not necessarily totally calvin ball because like there's some standards but it's like what what do you call this shape that i want to make and like do bounces count and yeah. that sort of stuff i have made behind the back shots twice very nice that sounds Still like so proud of that but now that the children are asleep, uh, she owed him three kisses because she lost war. She lost shoots and ladders and a different thing. And so instead of giving him three discreet kisses, well, nothing's discreet about these kisses. No. Instead of giving him three separate kisses, she blows him. Oh, um, three kisses equals one BJ. Got it. Go for it. Um, but one really funny thing <laughs> is that while she's trying to rev him up, she's like, you know, rubbing his chest and like kind of touching little touches around. And it's like, yeah, go for it. But at one point, this manly man with a six pack tattoos on his forearms works at a garage, like narrates that he loves having his belly touched. <laughs> he just likes to have a belly rub. I couldn't imagine. Like a puppy. Yeah. It's like, I get that. Women have a lot of erogenous zones, and so do men. And men do not talk as much about their erogenous zones that aren't their wiener as they need to, I assume. But it's like, I don't really think any man loves having soft, silken touches on his belly. <laughs> he likes to have his belly He's got rub. one little foot, like, going. Like a little puppy. Like, <laughs> um, so he likes having his belly touched, and then she blows him at 36%. And I asked, why is this book still going? Uh, then... Uh, they're dating. 
and they they and then, really like guess, each other. Something happens. There's a big misunderstanding, and they break up. But then they no. wind up getting back together in the end. No, I think that if it wasn't for the sort of, uh, you might actually like this book. It's kind of gross, but it's exactly what you said you wanted in that they mostly do really good together. And the reason that they break up it at the 67% mark is because uh, she did not confide in him some pretty big stuff. She gets drunk and she says legitimately some pretty shitty, like hurtful stuff. And then they like break up and he's kind of an asshole about how they break up because she's trying to get him back and it's a whole thing. But for the most of the book, they're actually like working really hard and on talking to each other which makes it really boring for me. Uh, but one of the things I hated most about it is that they're kind of sort of keeping this a secret that they're dating because they share very similar sh social circles. And so one of her fellow bartenders brings up like, oh, you're going to see Johnny for your third date? And she hadn't told her. And so she assumes that Johnny told her and she feels mm. betrayed that he's talking about it. He's gossiping. He must just be bragging because he's she can't get rid of this idea of him as a womanizer because he's so hot. He's not. Would you believe it? Um, and then she's like, no, he didn't tell me. I snooped in your phone. And then she. And she doesn't feel betrayed by the friend for no. snooping through her phone? Uh, she feels hurt because he must be too embarrassed to tell her for anybody about it. And it's like, what, what did you, you want? want? What did you want him you to do? You were mad that he told someone and then now you're mad that he didn't tell and anyone, like, which you told him you wanted? And it's like part of me is willing to kind of say. That's how people are. They just kind of suck. They do not know what they want a mm -hmm. lot of the time. And so there's that. But at the same time, I don't want to read this book anymore. Please hurry along. And I have good news for me and for you. This book does not end at 100% of the way through. This book ends at 77% of the way, book, <laughs> the way through. Uh, because Why? What's the last 23%? The last 23% is the next book of the next guy in the garage who the next book is about. Oh. Because I knew one of them was coming up. And then it's like, oh, do you want to move in with me? Because this, oh, there's a second sexual assault where the guy comes back uh. Uh, and she kicks his ass, which I think is supposed to be very feminist. Uh, which I suppose kind of in some ways is that she did not need a man to save her in the least. Um, but it's also like, can we write books that aren't about sexual assault to yeah. create a uh, plot? Because uh, now that's the plot that uh, makes him confess his feelings, is that she almost got raped. Why do we always need a rape or an almost rape? Yeah, I know. I'm tired of this. Um, And so we have uh, two sessions. Our, our full-on sex starts at 44%, by the way. And so adjusting for the 77, that's basically in line with the template. That would be right around two-thirds of the way through. So that leaves us about that 80% mark to fall apart. And so he comes over, and they make up and make out and fuck a bunch. And then he's like, hey, this apartment fucking sucks, apparently, because that guy got in here. And when I heard struggle, I busted through your lock and one shoulder thing. Very manly, very strong of mm. me. And so you should move in with me into the house I rent that's big enough. And I could buy it, but I don't want to. But I'll buy it if you're there. And you should move in with me. And also, when we're engaged, and will you marry me? And she says yes. Like, and that's the end of the book? That's handled that fast. No. Um, oh. That's where the book uh, actually ends. But then there's another chapter that's told from uh, a different person in the garage's uh, point of view. With Johnny there, we're just a sex kitten uh, character in another tight black short dress with high heels and this big Why poofy hair. So many of Gigantic these? titties walks in as like, who's the one that's blah, 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 blah. And he's basically just leering at her the entire time. And she's like, my eyes are up here. And he's like, blah, 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 blah. And she looks at his biceps. And then the book ends. And it's like, would you like to read a preview of the next book for the next 23% of this book? No. 
No, um, but it picks up exactly where our book left off. <laughs> so I'm thinking this author finished this book, wrote the next book, and is like, oh, I need a little bridge. Gotta put a little something in the there other for one him. Back into the first book. Put Weird. a little something in there is exactly how the first, uh, the from 33 to 44% is. Oh, gross. So I feel like based on the faces that you were making while reading this book, I expected it to be a lot worse than it seemed like it's, it wound up being. No. Remember when I said when I stopped paying attention, it got better? Yeah. It's because the uh, problems are in the micro, not in the macro. The pro- and so you just didn't re- like read as many of them when you started doing some heavy yeah, skimming? Yeah. So for, ex- for example, more than physical beauty, Lara possessed a warm inner core that got him hazy and drunk faster than a hometown IPA. <laughs> What is their obsession with IPAs? Their fingers brushed. He felt the tingle all the way to his cock and swallowed a groan. Pasting on a sly grin, he said, but Laura, if I had you, I wouldn't need any of those others. And he's flirting. And it's like, hey, holding hands. It's been a while since we've had like a stranger flirtation. Because we've been married. Ten years, in fact. Ten years, in fact, we've known each other. We've been married for five of those almost. And so it's like, I get that when you don't really know how this is going to go, there's a little bit more electricity and it's Mm -hmm. a little bit, you know, poppier. And it's like, I love you very much. And we have a really great relationship. But but now when we hold hands, it's, yeah, it's comforting and warm. Yes. And so I understand. But a 28-year-old man who has had numerous sexual encounters in his life is probably over the fingers meeting point of bonus. Like when I was in high school, if I held hands with a girl that I, I was like, oh. It's fucking going down, yeah. bud. And then it wouldn't because I was in high school and not a very good ladies' man. And so you'd think it'd, it'd change. Um, he leaned closer and she froze. But I'm thinking you don't belong there either. For someone so damn pretty and sweet, there's a part of you that wants what I can give you. Ew. But seeing those long... T- this uh, author is apparently... Uh, I think they are a woman. They write with a woman's name. Uh, and But they are seeming to be a, a leg woman. That that's oh, what they look for in other okay. women, especially their their protagonists. Like they bring up sexual. Uh, it's, the strippers have G cup, double G cups. It's like I don't think that's how it works, even for big boobs. Like that'd be that'd be too big for a stripper. That would also like holy back problems well yes but i think some of them are fake um but seeing those long toned legs that biteable ass and those generous breasts generous is a pretty good one giving her svelte build a perfect set of curves he'd have a hard time sleeping without reliving his run uh hell his cock was hurting worse so he didn't much mind anytime around lara he ached with a fierce need to kiss her hug her slam her against the wall and fuck her till she passed out oh that escalated too quickly. He gripped her and pumped once, then let her go. Gross. What? Uh, that's describing a handshake. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. To her surprise, she and Johnny had quite a bit in common. They both lived alone, worked long hours, and enjoyed hanging with friends. So they're 28. <laughs> I love the hanging with friends thing. That's an ultimate Twitter profile. Music is my life. Or not Twitter. Tinder profile. Music is my life. Really? Because I don't like music. Like, who would say a thing like that? That's that's how I feel um, during interviews. Like, being on the interviewing end where, like, people are coming in to apply for jobs at where I work. Mm -hmm. And someone will always ask, like, oh, what do you do for fun? Like, what do you do outside of work? And people are always like, 
I don't know, I watch Netflix and I hang out with my friends. Like, people, I think, try to come up with good answers, but it's like, we're in our late 20s. We go to the gym. It's a pandemic. We hang out with friends. Some of us have dogs. That's like it. Those are the only things. Yeah, I want you to read this quote, the underlined portion of the quote, and I want to see how you uh, say the last two words. Needing to touch bare flesh, he pulled her straps over her shoulders and down her arms, then dropped the bra to the floor. Oh, yeah. I love, like the Kool-Aid man. I do love the last, <laughs> oh, yeah. Can be said like he forgot. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> forgot I what, forgot nipples. He forgot what boobs oh, yeah. look like. Oh, um, yeah. I, I'm I'm envisioning Kool-Aid man oh, coming through the wall. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Coming through the wall. Oh, no. Anyway, with that euphemism, that's going to do it for tonight. My name has... Oh, no, wait. Oh, no. Before I tell you my name, oh, I already no. have the oh, uh, no. next book you're going to read, oh, which no. I feel kind of bad because it means we're, we are once again not going to the physical library. Yeah, well, they close at 6 p.m. Um, I forgot what the name of this book is because it oh is god, released... I just saw that Michelle said book seven. Book seven, yeah. Oh no. Um, can you read the title to me? Critical doubt. Uh, can you read the other books in this series? The titles to me, please. Uh, I feel like I'm a defense attorney. Perilous trust, reckless whisper. It's a great song. Desperate play, <laughs> elusive promise, dangerous choice, and ruthless cross. This is absolutely and then number seven critical doubt absolutely coming from a two meaningful words uh random generator yeah yeah uh so go ahead and tell the people what you'll be reading about tomorrow they met in a war-torn city on the other side of the world and shared an anonymous night of passion they didn't intend to meet again nor did they think they'd be reunited by sinister secrets Five years later, FBI agent Savannah Kane is headed to a small town in Georgia for the Savannah. funeral of her best friend's husband. Going home is fraught with complications, but Savannah never imagined one of those would be Riker Stone, the stranger Fantastic she fucking name. shared an unforgettable night with. Can I pause for a second? Yes. Several years ago, we made a book, bad book plot generator. Pretty sure Riker Stone would have been one of the names yeah, that was generated. And I, I am really jealous that this could not have turned up because it's, it, it is 100% so the type good. of thing. Yeah. Haunted by an ambush that took the lives of two men in his unit, Riker now copes by living a solitary civilian life. Attending the funeral of yet another soldier, this one lost to a senseless accident. He's shocked to run into the beautiful stranger he has never forgotten. When another man in Riker's former unit dies under suspicious circumstances, he suspects that someone is targeting his team. He's determined to get to the truth. Savannah's just determined to get answers for her friend. Neither wants to work with the other, and they struggle with trust and attraction. The truth grows murkier and more dangerous. While finding answers reveals secrets, neither one of them is ready to know. Indeed. Uh, who wrote the... You don't have to read me the quotes, but who wrote the reviews? Who wrote the reviews? Christine. Isha C. Isha C. USA Today's blog. H-E-A blog. Donnie from, from Goodreads. Goodreads. Oh, that must be Donatello. Jay Stryker. Uh, little suspicious that Stryker is spelled just like Riker. For, also from Goodreads. And someone from Book Lovers Anonymous. With five stars. So... I'm very uh, into this extraordinarily forgettable uh, title, so much so that I had to send it to Michelle ahead of time because I knew I was not going to be able to find it again. <laughs> Critical doubt. Um, 
So yeah, that's what you've got f up for for next time, unless they're extraordinarily gross. Uh, but that is what's going to do us for the next uh, two weeks. We will see you back here again for another episode of Bibliovile. I have been and will continue to be Mick Dickinson. And you can find me on Twitter at Dickie Ma. I'm Susan Dickinson. You can find me on Twitter at Susan J. The intro to our... Uh, intro music to our, our podcast, podcast is, is Babe, Babe of the, the Night by the Band Elixir off of their album Rampant. Uh, you can find the Twitter at Bibliovile. Good night. Bye. Everybody.